Well, we come again to our study of First Peter, and if you haven't already, I'd like to invite you to turn to chapter 5 of First Peter. In our last time together, we looked at verse 1, and we saw from Scripture who and what elders are in the church and what they do, and then we looked at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 6 through 9. And we saw what qualifications elders were to meet before they became elders in the church. We also said that in the New Testament that the writers of Scripture uses the terms elder, overseer, and pastor interchangeably. We're talking about one office of elder or pastor or overseer. We're talking about one individual or a group of individuals. And so today we're going to pick up where we've left off and focus in on verses 2 through 4 as we look again at one of the main things that elders do, as well as how they are to behave, what is their heart and what is their passion. So notice what he says as we look here, and I just want to begin reading at verse 1 and read down to verse 4. He says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So as we have been looking at this and learning about this office of elder, we're now looking at the main duty that... Peter picks up on in verse 2, and that is to shepherd the flock of God or feed the flock. We find terms here that pick up the imagery in the Old Testament as well as the New. You have the terms flock and the term shepherd, and it gives us this picture of believers and pastors in the New Testament, but again it goes back also to the Old Testament. And so as Peter is writing to his fellow elders, being an elder also, he issues this command. And the command is to shepherd the flock of God. This phrase right here broadly describes the function of all elders. When you talk about feeding and you take on that imagery, you understand that that's involving care and protection and discipline and guidance. In fact, we understand that this term shepherd is really pulling from an account that Peter had with Jesus. And so if you want to hold your place right there and turn with me to John 21... And let's take a minute and read about the account that Peter had with Jesus where Jesus specifically commands Peter to shepherd the flock. 
is found in John 21, verses 15 to 17. It says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. The best way that Peter could demonstrate his love for Jesus was to obey this command to shepherd the flock of God. And that verb, to shepherd, it includes more than just providing food. It extends to everything required for the safety and well-being of the sheep. R.C. Sproul wrote, Today a pastor is expected to be a psychologist, theologian, biblical scholar, administrator, preacher, teacher, and community leader. The minister spends so much time on secondary matters that he has little time to do his principal work, which is to feed the sheep through preaching and teaching. The greatest service your minister can do for you is to feed you, not with his opinion, but with the Word of God. And so as we come to that command... And what follows, he's going to show him or show the elders in the church how they are exactly to do this. And he gives them eight ways in which they are to shepherd. Eight ways in which they can obey this command. And they pick up in verses 2 and 3. And the first one is to shepherd by command. Shepherd by command. This is a command from God. The word shepherd is used in the imperative mood, which is a command. And it's telling us here, as I said, the one main duty that he is to be involved in. He is to shepherd the flock. That's what elders do. They shepherd the flock of God. Now his emphasis here is recalling that of what the biblical prophets did. Jeremiah spoke of this in, in Jeremiah thirteen seventeen, telling us that this is the Lord's flock. Even telling us, we find Zechariah saying in Zechariah 10, 3, that the Lord God, the Almighty, will watch over His flock. And one of the ways in which He does that is through the shepherds. There are some pastors that don't shepherd or feed the flock. And that's a real shame. Or there are some that don't feed them enough. They don't give them exactly what they need in order to grow in the Word of God. And God gives this warning to that type of shepherd, especially the false shepherd. 
Jeremiah 23 says this, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Now there's a multitude of reasons why this one main task would be avoided. And one that I would give you is that it's not easy. Shepherding the flock of God is not easy easy. And as I was thinking about this, I wrote down five reasons why it's not easy. The first is this, because shepherding is selfless. The focus is on the sheep. And the only time the focus is on the shepherd is when the shepherd is to take heed to himself and to the ministry that the Holy Spirit has given him, Acts 20, 28. And he is to work hard at this task. So we find that that's when the focus is on him. But when you're shepherding the flock, it is a selfless task. Also, it is not only selfless, but it sometimes has no reward. I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah garnered the nickname, the weeping prophet. And you know why he garnered that nickname? is because nobody would listen. That's difficult right there. To be preaching and telling what God says to God's people, and nobody wants to hear it. But isn't that exactly what Paul said to Timothy? There's going to come a time when they will have itching ears, and they will accumulate ear ticklers, the type of teachers that will tell them what they want to hear instead of telling them what they need to hear. A third reason that I would give as to why it's not easy is because it's dangerous. It can be dangerous. And you take Paul for an example. Paul talks about the many times that he was beaten, many times that he was spent a night and day in the the sea, uh, shipwrecked, all the different toils that came upon him. You take all the disciples, uh, all of them were persecuted. All but one of them were martyred. So you could see why that uh, there would be a need for shepherds because you start advertising that on your brochure, uh, not too many are willing to apply. But it can be dangerous. And in a day and age in which we're living, it's going to get worse. We've already seen the responses that the culture had to the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And we saw the the anger and the hate that came out of that from those who opposed that verdict. They started turning on 
providers that would provide alternatives to abortion, and they also turned on churches. And I'll tell you, the churches that are not being turned on against are those who have adopted these type of practices that have no problem with abortion, have no problem with same-sex marriage, have no problem with denying the Word of God. But those who are faithful, those who are true, yes, this is certainly dangerous. My fourth reason would be this. Sheep can be difficult to lead. Sometimes we run into that. Some are harder to lead than others. Some are more stubborn than others. But I would also say sometimes pastors are stubborn too. And then the last I'd give is, is stressful. I remember one time when I was at the doctor, and he was trying to explain to me that I needed to de-stress. I needed to find a way not to be so stressed. I said, you know, I, I have a similar job that you have. You work physically with people and trying to physically heal them. I work spiritually with people and try to spiritually heal them with the Word of God. But there are all kinds of things that contribute to stress, especially uh, when Sunday comes every three days. You're studying and you're still struggling with the understanding of that text. That can bring upon stress. Or you get interrupted a lot. Or someone dies in the middle of the week. Or maybe they die on Saturday and the funeral is before Sunday. Usually they're not that fast. But, but still, there's all kinds of things that come in there that can be stressful. I was reading this. A 2013 study from the Schaefer Institute reported that 1,700 pastors leave the ministry each month citing depression, burnout, or being overworked as the primary reasons. According to the study, 90% of pastors report working 55 to 70 hours a week, and 50% of them feel unable to meet the demands of the job. Those are not good statistics, are they? I remember when I was younger, a few years into the church, you would see men surrender to ministry. You don't see a whole lot of that like you used to. And why is that? Well, again, there's various reasons, but it is a stressful, stressful job. But even in spite of all of that, you give yourself to the call. And I'll tell you what, all these things that I just listed before you are also ways to determine if you have been called to this type of ministry. Now, if you'll notice here in verse 2, Peter compares his readers to sheep. He calls them the flock of God. Now, to understand why he calls them that, it's very important that we understand something about sheep. First of all, they're mentioned more than 500 times in the Bible, so that's worthy of consideration. We find the first mention of them in Genesis 4-2, where it says again, he gave birth to his brother, or she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So that's the first occurrence of it. We find that sheep were used in the sacrificial offerings, and we also understand that they were not easy to take care of. 
They required more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. Now, we have animals on our property, and they require attention. You have to feed them. You have to make sure they have water. You have to make sure that they have, especially the ones that have to graze, they have some ground to graze on. And you do this every day. You put them out. You bring them back in. I find it hilarious when I watch people that are new at this uh, chasing animals, trying to catch them. And uh, there's only one way to catch them, and that's with food. And you know, I find that very amazing that that's usually how we're caught to, <laughs> is with food. But if they stray, for example, into an unfamiliar territory, they become completely disoriented. And they can't find their way home. So if they're in new areas and they wander off, that can be detrimental to them. Sheep spend most of their time eating and drinking, and if they become lost, they'll eat poisonous plants or they'll overgraze. They'll drink stagnant water. Even if you look at the sheep's wool, there's something that secretes from their wool. It's called lanolin. lanolin. And, and it permeates their fleece. And so because it permeates their fleece, you have dirt and grass. Uh, debris always clings to it. And since they can't clean themselves, they have to wait until the shepherd shears them. And between the shearings, he has to cut away from under their tails or they can't eliminate waste and they'll become sick and die. So they are always acquiring the need of the shepherd. And if I could give you another one, I would certainly say this, that they're defenseless against predators. When attacked, all they can do is run in panic. We learned not too long ago that roosters are about as useless too when it comes to protecting the hens. Unfortunately, we had one Sunday morning where we were getting ready to, for church and Nathan went out to feed the birds, and there were two dogs in the pen, and every single bird was dead. At least we thought. We did find a couple roosters that were hiding behind the hens. I thought they were supposed to protect them. No, truth, reality is, they're a bunch of wimps. Seriously. See, it's not surprising that Jesus likened the disoriented, confused, unclean, and spiritually lost crowds to flocks of sheep without shepherds. They couldn't feed themselves spiritually. They had no one to lead and protect them. Even the prophet Isaiah compared humanity's lost condition to that of a stray sheep. You remember when he said in Isaiah 53, 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. Certainly, Peter understood that imagery when he called believers the flock of God and commanded the pastors to shepherd them. So, since they're prone to wander, taking in what is bad for them, becoming unclean and highly vulnerable, defenseless on their own and often naive, the demand for shepherds who are faithful and responsible is compelling. And when the church is under severe persecution, as it was in Peter's day, it's even more vulnerable 
and in greater need of strong, godly, effective shepherds. So as Peter, who is an elder, is writing to these elders, plural, he tells them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now I want you to notice how he tells them to do this. First, he says to shepherd by oversight. He says exercising oversight. Now I've talked a little bit about the word oversight when I was talking about how these terms are used interchangeably, but oversight is a duty. In fact, as he uses this word here, it's where we get the word episcopal. But he uses it here in the present tense. It's a present tense verb. And he's talking about this constant need of sheep to be given this oversight by the shepherds. The word literally means to have scope over. It means to look over, to watch over. It's literally a watchman, a watchman upon the sheep. This is a constant, active, responsible overseeing of care for the sheep. They're constantly examining them for spiritual parasites. And they're ever on the lookout for the ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I find it very interesting that the Latin equivalent to overseer is supervisus. What's that sound like? Supervisor. That's where we get our English word. And so, even as a secular title, it would sometimes designate commissioners that were appointed to regulate the newly acquired territory or colony. It was also applied to magistrates who regulated the sale of provisions under the Romans. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it signified inspectors or superintendents or taskmasters or captains or presidents. Even in ancient Greek culture, it was often used to describe the pagan gods who supposedly watched over the worshipers and over their nations. Shepherds must watch over the sheep. And they have to access or assess their spiritual condition. They have to do this so that they know how to lead them. So they know how to guard them. So they know how to feed them. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. So this spiritual oversight, which is the constant duty of the elders and the unceasing need of the flock, is what Peter is commanding here in verse 2. Martin Luther said, The bishops are Christ's servants, and their business is to guard Christ's sheep and feed them. Therefore, to feed them is nothing else but to preach the gospel, whereby souls are nourished, made fat, and fruitful. Since the sheep thrive upon the gospel and the word of God, this alone is the office of a bishop. R.C. Sproul adds to that, he says, The greatest service your minister can do for you is to feed you, not with his opinion, but with the word of God. And Charles Spurgeon, he said, Nothing can so exhaust a man who is called to it as the care of souls. So it is in measure with all who teach. 
They cannot do without spending themselves. You must study the lesson. You must bring forth something fresh to your class. You must instruct and impress. I have no doubt you are often driven very hard for matter and wonder how you will get through the next Lord's Day. I know you are sore pressed at times. If you're worth your salt, you dare not rush to your class unprepared to offer to the Lord that which cost you nothing. There must be labor if the food is to be wisely placed before the lambs so that they can receive it. It is a hard task. And again, R.C. Sproul says, in churches today, particularly in America, enormous expectations are imposed upon the office of minister. And because of that, many thousand pastors leave the ministry every year. So, Peter says you need to shepherd by command and you need to shepherd by oversight. And because it's a hard task, it's needful to understand the next one. And the next one, he says, is in also in verse 2. He says, shepherd willingly. And here's the phrase, not under compulsion. Don't shepherd under compulsion. And the word compulsion, it means unwillingly. Don't shepherd because you must do this. Willingly or voluntarily is something that is deliberate, it's something that is intentional, it is something that is a matter of the will. James Moffat said in periods of persecution, there was a real danger in accepting office for officials enjoyed an unpleasant prominence, which led them (coughs) often being singled out by the state authorities. Hence, some were indisposed to take the office at all. I find that even when you study the persecuted church, you find that the person that they attack first or that they attack most are the pastors. That's before they destroy the people. Because they do that, because if they can attack the pastor first, put him out of commission or kill him, then most likely the sheep will scatter because they have no shepherd. They have no one to lead them. But there should be a volunteeringness, a willingness from the shepherd when he feeds the flock. He should be willing like we read in Isaiah 6-8 when the Lord asked the question, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you remember Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. How many of you are are willing to be used by the Lord in that manner? All of us, all of us have been given a commission to make disciples. Not just the pastor, but all of us. All of us have been commissioned to preach the gospel to every creature. 
And when I say preach, I use it loosely. It's witnessing to people with the gospel. All believers are to do this. Do you do this willingly? Or do you do this grudgingly? But just as Isaiah had that desire to be used, that's the same desire that each shepherd is to have over the flock. You know, there is a compulsion that is good. It's called a divine compulsion. And Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 9. And he said his compulsion was to preach the gospel. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. See, he had a divine compulsion, and I believe that that's something all shepherds have as well. But they need to look at the ministry as not something for which they can profit from, but they're looking at the ministry as something in which they're obedient to and something in which God will use them in to feed the people. You see, when you look at what Paul said there, his preaching was not from pride. God chose him, set him apart for the service. Paul saw this as a stewardship. Something that he wanted to be found faithful in. He told the Colossians in Colossians 1.25 of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God, bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. This is a stewardship from God. You know, I think of other things that are a stewardship, spiritual gifts. God's given us a gift by which we can minister in the body. We're stewards of that gift to use it, to be faithful to use it. It's not for personal gain. It's not for personal prestige or anything. It's for the need of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your gift is for them. Their gift is for you. My gift is for you. Your gift is for me. When elders feed the flock voluntarily or willingly, it keeps the element of love predominant because that gives them the motivation it gives them the reason why they do this they do this because they love Christ they love Christ church Debman Hybert says personal love for the Lord and his people prompts willing service the obvious point that we're seeing here by this shepherding willingly is that A shepherd must be diligent rather than lazy. He should be heart-motivated rather than forced to be faithful. And he should be passionate about his privileged duty rather than be indifferent. When the heart is fully Christ and driven by love for Him and for souls, there's much internal compulsion that precludes any need for external motivational pressure. He's driven internally. To 
be more specific, he's driven by the will of God. Look at that in verse 2. You're shepherding the flock of God among you, shepherding by oversight, shepherding willingly, and you're shepherding according to the will of God. God is the one who's willed this in your life. The idea is that it is in accordance with the will and the purposes of God. Therefore, you do it willingly. Ministry is a calling by God. And we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, and we talked about the internal passion that a man has for this office, and it causes him to reach forward toward that office. <clears throat> but according to Jeremiah 1.5, when we see here in this example of Jeremiah, it's a calling specifically by the Lord. He says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. We find also in Acts 20 and verse 28, it's the Holy Spirit that makes these elders overseers. This is a calling from God. And I'll tell you real quickly that if a man believes that he has been called by God to this ministry, he will certainly find out in the days ahead if the calling was in his mind imaginable or an imagination, or if it really was from God. As I said earlier about the pressures of shepherding, the things that come along with this, this is usually what causes those who have not been called to this to step away. In fact, there's a little phrase that, that I've used, and I'm not the only one to use this, others have used this, but when meeting a man, a young man, who feels that he's been called to be a pastor, a good question to ask is, is there anything else you can do? Is there anything else that you want to do? Because if there is, you haven't been called to this. Because the way it works, this is all you want to do. It's all you want to do. Now, that doesn't mean when you look at the fellowship that every fellowship can support full-time a pastor elder. They may not have the resources due to its size. But in other cases, it may be different. But ministry is certainly a calling by God, and it's according to the will of God. And since it's according to the will of God, it's to be done as God Himself would do it in a manner that is approved by God. In either case, the focus on oversight that is performed with a due sense of accountability to God. He is accountable to God for His ministry. I used to have a hat, and it says, Jesus is my boss. And in reality, that's the truth. Because a lot of times, congregations think that they're the boss of pastors, right? Listen, when I read in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, and it talks about Jesus has the stars in His right hand, which were 
terms that were emulate of pastors. If pastors are in the hand of Christ, you can't get any greater than that. If pastors are accountable to Christ, you can't be any more accountable than that. But again, unfortunately, some congregational members believe that they are the boss. And in my 30-plus years of ministry, I have seen it firsthand. And I have seen guys leave the ministry over that. I remember one time attending a conference, and I was talking to Erwin Lutzer in the bookstore, and he made a statement. He says, every church has a boss. The boss could be a family, it could be an individual, Most of the time, that's what it is. The boss is Christ. Jesus said that He is the head of His church. He is the boss. So He decides who He places there in that ministry to shepherd His people. It's His church. So Peter says that the elders need to shepherd by command, by oversight... Willingly, according to the will of God. Next, they need to shepherd selflessly. Not for sordid gain. If you have the King James Bible, it says, not for filthy lucre. We find the adjective of that word used in 1 Timothy 3.8 and Titus 1.7, but the adverb occurs only here. And the idea is that any personal gain which is sought in a selfish way It's shameful. The ministry is not intended for that purpose. When you go with that old phrase for filthy lucre, that's pretty expressive. Filth is shameful. This speaks of the shameful acquisition of money. It's a base or dishonorable gain. Isaiah 56.11 says that the false shepherds have turned to unjust gain. Jesus said in John 10.12, they are hirelings. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He doesn't care about the sheep. He's a hireling. Every shepherd needs to have this perspective of Acts 20, 33 and following. Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Selflessly, not for shameful gain. Next, he says, they are to shepherd with eagerness. That's used only here in the New Testament. It means to be eager, to be willing, to be free. 
But the emphasis here is a little different than we saw earlier because it's focused in on the inner devotion. It's showing an intense desire to do something. It's really a positive emotional desire to do the work. Where if you look back to willingly or voluntarily, that's focusing on the element of unconstrained or free choice. But he's to give them his heart. See, that's what makes shepherding somewhat so difficult because the shepherd does give his heart. He gives his heart to the ministry. He gives his heart to the people. Now, when you move into verse 3, he gives us two more. One of them is seen in the phrase, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. I basically labeled that as shepherding gently. Being gentle with the flock of God. Uh, we're told over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So when it even comes to the point of correction, he is to be gentle. He's not to lord over those who have been allotted to his charge. The Amplified Bible says he's not to be domineering as arrogant, dictatorial, and overbearing person over those in your charge. This is a warning against the haughty abuse of power. We've all seen this. Unfortunately, some have experienced it. But it should not happen. The word lording means to dominate. It means to control. It means to exercise dominion over. And interesting that the preposition in this word kata, it indicates intensity and it depicts a heavy-handed use of authority for personal aggrandizement or manifesting itself in the desire to dominate and be accompanied by a haughty demand. We've heard this sometimes, do it my way or the highway. And many of the sheep choose the highway. Nobody wants to be led with a heavy hand, right? And I'll tell you something, no shepherd should want to lead that way either. So this word, it implies leadership by manipulation, leadership by intimidation. Linsky says the shepherds are not to be little popes or petty tyrants. You know, when uh, we're talking about Bible interpretation, I heard someone say one time that there are no popes in the body of Christ, which basically means each one of us is free to interpret the Bible. We don't have to rely on one person to interpret it for us. Like in the Catholic Church, the one person was the pope. And when he spoke from the chair or spoke ex cathedra, uh, that was law. And you didn't defy the law of the pope. 
But we're thankful for men like Martin Luther, who did defy the word of the Pope, or we wouldn't be here. This is certainly something Paul was concerned about. He even told the Corinthians in his second letter to them, he says, not that we lorded over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith you are standing firm. He didn't want to lord over them. There was a situation in Matthew chapter 20 when James and John's mother came to Jesus. Remember the story? She wanted him to grant her two sons to sit on the right and left hand of him when he came into his kingdom. And they're standing there too like uh, two sheep led to the slaughter. (laughs) He said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? You know what they said? We can. You know what he said? You will. But to grant you to sit on the right or the left hand is not mine to give, but my father's. After that situation, the rest of the disciples were furious at James and John. And Jesus said this, Matthew twenty twenty five. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them? And their great men exercise authority over them? It's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. See, where those who think that they're great because they have all this authority, all this power, as I said, they think they have this. And then they begin to exercise this over the flock. They're mistaken. We're all called slaves in Christ, aren't we? So Peter says, you've got to be gentle. Don't lord over the flock. It's allotted to your charge. But then the end of verse 3, you need to shepherd by example. Prove to be examples to the flock. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that word that's used for examples, the Greek word tupas, and the term means to impress by a blow. You strike something, it leaves an impression. Elders are to be models to the flock. They're to be patterns that people can follow. As we said when we were talking about the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, we said that this is to be the model for the flock because this is what the flock's to be also. They're also to hold those 26 qualifications not just the shepherd. Paul talked a lot about this. He said in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following in my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He also told them again in chapter 4 and verse 9, The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. 
And the God of peace will be with you. He told the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They knew what kind of men they were. And they patterned their lives after these men. You do that too. I do that as well. We find men that we look up to that are faithful to the Word of God and we seek to pattern our lives after them. We don't want to worship them. We don't want to put them on a plateau that if they fall in front of us that we fall as well. But they have a pattern. They have a consistency of godliness. A consistency of righteous living that we want to pattern after. Over in Titus 2.7, Titus was to be this to the churches in Crete. Paul told him, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine and, and dignified. So this task of shepherding the sheep is a very demanding call. It calls for the entire person. And that's why, in my observation, in 30 plus years, it can be somewhat a challenge to shepherd the flock and to work another job or two. That can be very demanding too. So he tells the elders, you need to shepherd by command. Shepherd by oversight, shepherd willingly, shepherd according to God's will, shepherd selflessly, shepherd eagerly, shepherd gently, and shepherd by example. And then he tells him the reward in verse 4. And this is what helps each shepherd. What's the reward? He says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I like how he says that because, you know what? Pastors are not the chief shepherds. They're under the chief shepherd. They are under shepherds, if you will. But notice the source of this reward. It comes from the chief shepherd. Who is the chief shepherd? The Lord Jesus and we understand the imagery of shepherd for the Messiah. We find it appearing in the Old Testament, like Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. Jesus is even called the good shepherd in John 10, 11. He's called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 21. And even Peter, back in chapter 2 and verse 25, referred to him as the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So he says, when the chief shepherd, when the Lord Jesus Christ appears, this reward will be given. Before I mention what that reward is, focus in on the appearing of the chief shepherd. The word appear means to make manifest. 
It means to reveal, to make clear. And it's referring to a single event. And how do we know it's referring to a single event? Because the word he uses here is in the aorist tense, which is pointing to a single event. And that single event is the second coming of Christ. So when the chief shepherd appears at his return, he will give the unfading crown of glory to his shepherds. Now the crown that's mentioned here is the Stephanos. It's not the diadema. The Stephanos was a wreath that was used as a crown. It's not a kingly crown. It was the crown of victory in the games. It was a crown that was used of civic worth, of military valor, of nuptial joy or festive gladness. And there were actually four mentioned in the New Testament. You had in 1 Corinthians 9.25, an incorruptible crown. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 also mentions the crown of glory that Peter mentions. In 2 Timothy 4.8, there's the crown of righteousness. In James 1.12, there's the crown of life. And Peter, though, he calls it the unfading crown. That word only occurs here in the New Testament. And he's saying it's unfading like the amaranth flower. The amaranth flower, it never faded. And it never lost its bloom. And something that you need to understand, because you only see it in the Greek language, he says here, it's not a literal crown. The crown is glory. The crown is glory. He uses this in the genitive case, which tells us what the crown is, and the crown is glory. And by the way, the same is true in the other crowns that I mentioned to you. James referred to his crown as the crown that is life. Paul wrote about the crown that is righteousness. And what these are doing is describing the eternal blessings as imperishable. The reward of eternal glory it should be all the reason why any shepherd needs or all the reason that he needs for shepherding the sheep. Because the crown that the chief shepherd is going to give is glory. You know, that's, I find that very interesting because there are some pastors that seek after glory here. And the real and true glory is in glory, in heaven. What a motivation. Shepherding a flock is a serious, sobering responsibility, and elders are accountable to God for that ministry. That's why James said in James 3, 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. That verse is a reminder of the standard that God sets for elders. It also tells us what they do. They teach. They feed. They feed the flock of God through teaching the Word of God. Every believer needs to be taught the Scripture. Why is that? Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we do not 
Be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If you're not taught the truth, you will be caught by every other teaching. And I think the best way to do that is expositorily. Do it systematically. That's why we do that here. That's why we seek to go through the books of the Bible. Because by doing that, you can feed on every word. That's showing how important words are. I'll tell you what. Words have become important, even though they're used loosely. People now understand if you get on an airplane and somebody hands you a pilot a note or the uh, shortest a note and says, take me somewhere else, uh, that's a threat. And they will take you somewhere else. They'll take you to the air marshal. They'll take you to jail. Elders work hard. 1 Timothy 5.17, they work hard at preaching and teaching. And so there's a reward awaiting to them. It's the unfading crown, which is glory. That will come from the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're here today and you don't know Christ... And none of this ever makes any sense. And at any moment as the Lord is tugging at your heart, you can call upon Him. And my prayer is that all of us know Christ. And all of us have given Him our hearts. Let's pray now as we conclude our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for the testimony of Scripture. We thank You for the teaching of Scripture, the instruction of Scripture that shows ex exactly what You've called Your church to be and what You've called Your pastors to be. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we will uphold these standards high, knowing that this is Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity that we've had to study it together today. And most importantly, thank you for letting us have an opportunity to worship you. And Lord, I pray for each person as they leave here today that they can continue in this frame of mind, knowing that we're always in the presence of God. There's never a moment when we're not. And so Lord, may we serve you faithfully today. And we pray all that today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,